Not a very polite, kind farewell speech. We're going to see Paul talking to a group of folks that he led to Christ. Uh, Paul was the missionary who went to the city of Ephesus on one of his missionary journeys and shared the gospel with them, and a strong church was formed. Ephesus was one of the, the more prominent churches in Asia uh, during Paul's missionary journey. And thereafter, uh, the apostle John uh, spent some of his years in the church of Ephesus. And so Paul has a special place in his heart for these folks, and he knows that he won't ever go back to Ephesus. He knows that he's actually going uh, to be imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. And so he's calling these folks together and saying, I just have a few things uh, that I want to impart to you before I go. And this morning we're going to look at Paul's understanding of his life and his ministry while he was in Ephesus. And then next week we're going to look at Paul's instructions to the church leaders on how they should move forward in care for the congregation and for being a witness for Christ. So this morning what we're concerned with or what we're going to look at is how God's power transformed Paul's life. Took him from being Saul, the persecutor of the church, to, to one who was willing to die for the church. And, and to see how he lived his life in that context, being a witness for Jesus as Savior and Lord. So this morning, Acts chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 17 through 27. Hear the word of God. Now from Miletus, he set, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come with him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything but what was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both the Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This is the reign of God's holy and perfect word to him alone. Be glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider what it means as disciples of Jesus to be, uh, to be a witness for him in our day and age, at times we are discouraged, at other times we are just disengaged, uh, we, we don't uh, think too much and plan too much in our, in our schedules and our lives about uh, thinking purposely about sharing with others. Uh, there are times when we look at our lives and we say, well, gosh, if that's, that's what it means to be a Christian, I probably shouldn't talk about it because uh, it doesn't seem like I'm being very faithful to following you. Lord, there's all kinds of reasons why we struggle with bearing witness for Christ. Father, there, there are those here today that, that don't know uh, Jesus very well, that maybe are just for the first time or, or maybe they're reengaging again and asking questions that are spiritual in nature. Father, you've called us to... Uh, to show them by the way we live and the way we 
we uh, conduct ourselves, uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And Lord, we are not the Savior. We are not the Christ. You don't call on us to, to do the work of salvation. You have done that, but you call us to bear witness. And so it isn't enough for us to say, well, we, we mess it up sometimes. We don't get it right. It isn't enough for us to uh, be negligent in a lifestyle that would point people to Christ. But Lord, we need to understand what that life is. We need to understand where the Holy Spirit is leading us and moving us. This is not a, a man-made try to work harder and be better so that, so that people will like Jesus. This is the transforming power that you must bring to bear in our lives. So Lord, I pray for all of us this morning, for the one who, who teaches. Uh, I need this, Lord, just as much as anybody else in this room. I fall short very often of being a witness for Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who are wondering who Jesus is, that you would speak your truth to those as well this morning. Father, we need your truth, not man's opinion, so I pray that you would come and that you would speak to us. Forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to hear and to know and to understand this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, given that this is a farewell speech, it, it goes without saying that you're going to say what's most important. Uh, that, you, you know, if you have one last shot at it, you really kind of want to make sure that you say the things that will be most beneficial to the folks around you. Uh, Lord willing, I'll continue to be the, the pastor at Green Tree Community Church for some amount of time to come. And so I haven't really thought about a farewell speech yet. I hope I'm a little bit too young for that. But every once in a while, you kind of think, what would I say if I kind of, you know, this is my, my last crack at it. And Paul is, is experiencing that in this particular situation. And so it's intriguing to me that he talks for a little while about himself, uh, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, Paul is not bragging. Paul isn't boasting. He's pointing people to the transforming power of God in his life. Uh, as we often say when we look at a narrative of Scripture, and this is a, this is a narrative, it, it's a historical account of something that happens. I, I want to say it's a story, except be careful to say it's not a made-up story. This really happened. This was an event that took place. We have to always be careful in narratives not to, sign, not to find uh, the folks in the narrative as the heroes of the story. Uh, Paul is not the hero of this story because of what he's about to say. He's pointing people to what God has done in his life and how that's changed him from the inside out, and they've been able to benefit from that transformation. So the first thing before we get into the observations of this text is we need to realize that if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, if I'm a disciple of Jesus... God is in the business of, of changing us, of making us more and more like Jesus, not just for our own good, not just so that we can be stronger in our faith, but also that people around us will benefit from that relationship. When Paul first came to Ephesus, none of these people were Christians. There had been no missionary, no pastor, no preacher there before him. There had been no evangelist that had gone through town. Paul was the first guy to go to Ephesus and talk about Jesus. So everyone with whom he is speaking this morning has come to salvation of Christ through his ministry. And he wants to remind them a little bit about that ministry, not to brag, but to point them to the power of God. And so it's within that understanding that we look at these observations. I have four of them. The first is this. Attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. Look at verses 18 and 19. Paul is speaking and he says, You guys know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul talks about his attitude 
in coming to the town of Ephesus and sharing the gospel. And the first thing he says was, I came in humility. Now, I believe that humility in the life of a Christian, humility in the life of a disciple of Jesus is one of the most uh, beautiful traits that they can possess. I believe that humility says to other folks, you know what, you really need Jesus, but guess what, take a number and get in line. <laughs> I need Jesus just as, much, just as much or more than you do. I believe that humility, true godly humility, transformational humility the Holy Spirit brings into my life, brings into your life, is compelling. Is compelling. It forces people to stop and go, oh, wait a minute. These aren't those church people telling us how we should be. <laughs> These are people claiming to be church folks who are saying how much they need a Savior. Humility within the context of Christianity is compelling. Com compelling Arrogance, the opposite of that, I believe, is revolting. There's nothing more damaging to the witness of Christ than a Christian who is arrogant and rude and self-seeking. And Paul says, I want you to understand that I came to you in humility. I know I need Jesus. But he also says, I, I came to you with tears. And, and I think here Paul is teaching about the emotional connection that he had with the people in Ephesus. He wanted them so desperately to know Christ that he literally would weep over people's salvation or the lack thereof. When's the last time I was so emotionally connected to a friend of mine who didn't know Christ that when I stopped to think about him for a couple minutes, I started to kind of get tears in my eyes. And you guys know I can get tears in my eyes real easily. I know that, that that can happen to me pretty quickly, but I also know because you share with me that that happens to some of you as well. I believe that God has called us to have an emotional connection with the people around us in our, in our, in our school, in our classes, in our neighborhood, in our, in our businesses, wherever we find ourselves. If it doesn't bother me that you don't know Jesus, if you don't, there's something wrong with me. And Paul says, I I'm so engaged in this emotionally that, that the gospel itself and, and people's need for salvation actually drives me to tears. But he also says one other thing. He says that, you know, I, that I was with you in trials, and he talks about how people were kind of after him, and, and there was a group of people that didn't like what he was teaching, and they would actually follow him from city to city, and they would try to stir up trouble for him every place that he went. I mean, it was, this was an organized resistance. You know, it's one thing if you share the gospel with somebody and they say, you know, it's not for me, thank you very much. Sure, appreciate your, you know, your sharing, but no. And then you kind of go on you know, your separate ways maybe. You don't uh, see each other for a while. It's quite another thing if you move to a new town and they show up with a group of people and say, as soon as he starts talking about Jesus, let's get him. Paul was under severe trials. And what Paul is saying, when I came to you, I came in humility and tears, but I also persevered for your sake. He says, remember how I lived from the first day until uh, until up to right now, you know that I persevered. You know that I hung in there. You didn't just hear me speak about Jesus, but you saw me being faithful to his calling in my life. And Paul is, is giving glory to God for these things, and he's pointing the Ephesians to the need for their lives to reflect these same characteristics. What community of faith, not just Green Tree, go any, any Christian community you want to in any corner of the world, doesn't need humility doesn't need an emotional connection with one another and with those who don't know Christ. And, and where is there a place in the world that we don't need perseverance? Hang in there. I know because some of you have told me stories, and I'm sharing my faith with so-and-so, and, man, we, we keep talking, but I, they, they just haven't, you know, accepted it. You know what? Hang in there. Persevere. How many times is, is, is too much? There's, that number doesn't exist. 
God calls us to persevere, to be faithful no matter what our circumstances for the sake of the gospel. John and Betty Stam are two names of Christians, husband and wife team, that are, that are probably beginning to be lost in the Christian community as far as our knowledge of them. John and Betty Stam in the early 30s uh, were missionaries in Jingda, uh, China, which is an Anhu province. And they found themselves in the middle of Mao's revolution. Uh, and they found themselves in a very, very dangerous predicament. And yet they decided to stay in their little village. They had only been there a few months. They didn't know people all that well. But they had been compelled to, to be in China, to be sharing the gospel. They were with an organization called China Inland, Inland Mission, which was founded by uh, a guy named Hudson Taylor. You maybe have heard that name. And uh, there was a day early in 1934 when the communists came to town. And they picked up John and Betty Stam, and they were never heard from again. A couple days later when their bodies were found, there was a note that was found uh, tucked into John's uh, clothing, hidden away, and it read this way, my wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of the communist bandits. Their, their little daughter ended up surviving and, uh, and living. Whether we will be released or not, no one knows. May God be magnified in our bodies, whether by life or by death, which is a, a direct quote out of Philippians Chapter 1, verse 20. Here's a person that has experienced trials firsthand, and yet he perseveres. And, and when they talk, you read his story a little bit, and he talked to his wife, folks that were in that community would say they had the chance to leave, but they decided not to, together as a couple, knowing the risks that they were running, but they wanted to persevere. And I know we don't face that kind of tribulation in the United States today. It may get here someday. Uh, I don't think we're immune from it. I think it probably will get here eventually. We don't face those kinds of decisions, but, but are we willing to persevere in our context? Are we willing to hang in there? Are we willing to, 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 to sacrificially serve others, even if they might mock us, even if they might consider us anti-intellectual for the sake of the kingdom of God? I believe that Paul is saying attitude is everything. An attitude that is born of the Spirit and the Word of God is everything. But he also goes on to teach them, secondly, that attitude impacts our actions. Look at verse 20 and 21. It says, You know how I lived among you, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, uh, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that my attitude led to actions. And he gives three words that describe his actions. The first one is, I did whatever was profitable for you. Now, it's Mother's Day, so we can, we can talk about moms for a minute. Moms know that there are a lot of times where they do things that are very profitable for their children, but their children don't necessarily get it at that particular moment. They don't necessarily appreciate it, right? Moms, you've had those kind of talks with the kids, said, here's what we got to do. We're going to go in this direction, not that direction. Oh, mom, you don't like me. Oh, mom, you know, you, you know you, they get all upset and their immaturity kind of comes bubbling out, but you don't quit. You don't stop. Say, no, I'm going to do what's profitable for you. You know, playing in the street yesterday wasn't okay. Playing in the street today isn't okay, you know. Maybe when you're 23, playing in the street might be all right, but, but not when you're four years old. And four years old in two days, it still isn't, isn't good for you. There's a sense in which if you love someone, you will think about what's in their best interest. And Paul says, That's, that was the action that I took. Whatever was profitable, I did for your sake. And then he describes being profitable in two ways. The first he says, I taught you. I spent time teaching you uh, in public and from house to house, and we'll come to that in just a minute. But Paul was very careful to make sure they had the right data. 
Paul had the right information. We just baptized Spencer. We all just took a vow that said we would do everything that we possibly could that this young one would know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I, I can tell you, and a lot of you know, because you have children there, and some of you volunteer in this ministry, that when he goes into a Sunday school class here, he's going to hear about Jesus. He's going to hear the data. He's going to get the information of the Word of God embedded into his heart. As parents, one of the reasons we study the Scriptures is so we can pass it on to our children. We study the Word of God so that when they come into circumstances and situations where they need wisdom and understanding from God's Word, we don't have to say, gosh, I, I bet there's a verse about that, but I sure don't know where it is. <laughs> we commit ourselves to the teaching of God's Word so that we can pass that on to others. And Paul says, not only did I teach you what was profitable, but he, he uses a different word. He says in verse 21, testifying both the Jews and the Greeks, of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the testifying is about repentance and about faith, but testifying is a bit of a nuance that means there's a life application to it. That I showed you from the way in which my life was being transformed that this data is accurate. It's the, it's the other side of being a witness. It's not just what I know, but it's also the experience of my life. And so in a sense, Paul was saying that, that my actions are an open book towards you because I always tried to offer what was profitable and what I taught you and how I lived the example of my life. Paul understood that attitude impacts actions. But thirdly, Paul also understood and, and explains in these, these uh, same verses, 20 and 21, that attitude fosters friendship. I want to come back for a minute to, to 20 and 21 I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I taught you publicly and from house to house. We sat down over the kitchen table and had a cup of coffee. Remember that day when I dropped in and you got all the neighbors together and we had a Bible study and we talked about what it meant to have faith in Jesus. We got to know one another. We're kind of backdoor neighbors. If you come to our house over there on, on Nurk Avenue, south of Kirkwood Park, the first time you come to our house, you're probably going to come to the front door and knock on the front door. But if you've ever been to our house, and I've been around when you left our house, I take you out the side door, and I said, this is the door where family comes in and out. You're not a visitor anymore. Don't ever come to the front door again. You come to the side door. There's something about being a community with one another. And Paul says, I, I hung out at your houses. I know your kids. I, you know, I know the ball teams they play for. I, I know what's going on in your business life. I know how your marriage is doing. We're doing community together. We're building relationships, authentic life on life. I got a great authentic life on life story from this last week. Friday night, uh, we had the opportunity, some friends of ours, to go to the baseball game. And we got to see Shelby Miller pitching all, almost perfect. And we didn't even realize until like the sixth inning. Like, wait a minute. Nobody's had a hit since the... Since the first guy up the bat, it was truly phenomenal. But you know when you go to the ball game, and we had really very nice seats where, I don't know, maybe about 10, 15 rows off the field. Everybody's got their phones and their cameras, and they're taking pictures, right? And I look over, and my bride of 31 years, my lovely wife, is taking pictures of two women seated in front of her with their heads looking out the field. She's taking pictures of the back of their heads. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I said, sweetie, what are you doing? She goes, I kind of like their hair color and want to get it. I want to kind of save that. And the woman who was with us didn't think anything of it. <laughs> of course, that's what you do. And my buddy and I look at each other and went, well, okay, what, how many outs are there? How many pitches has he thrown? There's just something about doing life. 
Something about doing life, talking about hair color, talking about a, a perfect game, being comfortable in our own skin with one another and around folks who need to know Jesus. And Paul says that attitude, uh, attitude fosters friendship. It fosters a genuine care for one another. It also rules out any bias. Notice that he says that, that I spoke clearly and concisely both to Jews and to Greeks. Now remember, some, some of the folks who were Jews, not all of them, but some of those folks were out to get them. And yet that didn't change his attitude. It didn't change his tone. He shared the gospel with anyone and with everyone. It's without relational bias. I don't stop and look at the color of your skin. I don't look at the, the, the age you are. I don't look at, at the type of clothes you're wearing. I don't look at, at any of those things that the world would say, you know, judge to decide whether or not you're worthy of, of my interaction. And, and we all tend to do that a little bit. We all have a little bit of bias in us someplace or another, uh, maybe hidden deep down inside. And, and we need to ask God to be changing that. We need to be saying, God, if there's anybody that I wouldn't go out of my way to talk to about Jesus, then there's something wrong with me. And I need your word and your spirit to change that in my life. We need to have authentic relationships without bias. But then this friendship attitude goes even further because friendship demands a consistent message. It kind of comes back to the fact that Paul said, I did whatever was profitable for you. If I really do care about you, if you really do love someone, you're going to tell them the truth. Now, Paul says later on in, in the book of Ephesians, actually when he's writing to the Ephesian church, he says we always want to speak the truth in love, right? So you need both of those. Love without truth is, is mushy. It doesn't really do anything, right? Truth without love is a, is a baseball bat, okay? That doesn't feel very good. You need both of those. But, but friendship demands that I share the truth, that I give a constant message. And Paul says I testify to everybody of repentance towards God. And faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't change the message. Friendship doesn't change the message. It doesn't water it down. I don't say, oh, you might be uncomfortable with this, so I'm, I'm not really going to tell you what you need to hear. It doesn't do that. It actually magnifies the need to share the message in a clear, in a concise, in a loving way. H.L. Mencken was a, a 19th and 20th century journalist uh, and writer in the United States. He was uh, very involved in newspapers. And he was an avowed agnostic, and he, and he despised the church. That's not too weak of a word. But even in, in a, a life of a man like this, there were doubts. And there were concerns, and there were questions about whether or not maybe he had gotten it wrong. And he wrote one day the following. In every unbeliever's heart, there is an uneasy feeling that, after all, he may awake after death and find himself immortal. This is his punishment for his unbelief. This is the agnostic's hell. I don't know what kind of Christians tried to interact with him. I don't know how many people actually tried to share their faith with him or not. Uh, but that statement is profound. Even in, and and if, you, if you Google his names and you look at all the things that he says about Christianity, he mocks Christianity in a very severe way. Uh, he does not hold back. He gives it with both barrels. And yet there's something deep in his soul. And I wonder if there was somebody that was a friend enough that would tell him the truth even if he got mad. Because actually living in this world is not the agnostic's hell. That's, that's to come. And it's a very real place. And God's just, justice and judgment is either going to be met at the cross of Christ or I'm going to spend eternity paying for my sin. So will you. That's the truth. I wonder if somebody loved him enough to tell him that even if he disagreed. The people that love you the most tell you what you really need to hear. Don't they? Paul says that attitude fosters friendship and friendship demands 
a consistent message. One last fourth observation in this text. Attitude, and this is kind of playing on what we just said. Attitude demands honesty. Look at verses 25 through 27. Paul says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul is very honest with the, with the Ephesian elders. He says, our time together is complete. It's done. It's run its course. I know that I won't see you guys again. And be very clear here, Ephesian elders, I've done my part. <laughs> I've done my part theologically. I've taught you. I've instructed you in the things of God. And I've done my part relationally. I've gone about with you. Paul actually spent two years in the town of Ephesus, the long pla longest place he ever stayed anywhere in his missionary journeys other than Corinth. Corinth was about 18 months. Ephesus was about two years. He built strong relationships with people. And he said, I've done my part. And now the honest truth is, friends, you need to look in the mirror. <laughs> I'm innocent of the blood of, of all men. You know what I've proclaimed. Now it's on your shoulders. Again, I believe a good friend is honest in calling us to faith and calling us to, to take up the mantle where they left off and follow Jesus. And I believe that Paul is not just speaking this morning to the Ephesian elders. I believe he's speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit to Green Tree Community Church. We've never met Paul face to face. We will someday. I'm going to sit down with him when I get to heaven, whenever my number comes up and getting a chance to talk to Paul. And I'm going to ask him about the whole predestination thing and what was Romans 8 through 10 really all about. I'd like you to explain that to me. So I've spent my life trying to explain it to others, and, I, and I've been unsuccessful. Uh, so I have a conversation I want to have with Paul, but I've never seen him, but he's speaking to me this morning. The Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning. And he's asking the same questions of Green Tree Community Church that he's asked of the Ephesian elders. Do we have an attitude of humility, an attitude of care, an attitude of steadfastness? Do we really believe the gospel? If we do, we will be a humble people. We will be a gentle people. We will be a kind and compassionate people. The gospel has meant anything in our life. Is Jesus who he says he is? And we truly believe that we will have great care for one another, and we won't quit when it gets difficult. We won't stop when it gets hard. What about Green Tree Community Church? Do our lives reflect the heart? of Jesus? Does that attitude really infect all of our actions so that we, we seek to do what is profitable for all of those around us? What about Green Tree Community Church? Are we building deep and abiding relationships and friendships? If you're in Green Tree, you say, you know, I, I don't know people too well. I want to challenge you to jump in with both feet. Find a place to serve. Call Diana Simone Pietri every day of the week until she finds a small group for you to be in. She won't mind me saying that to you this morning. Find Pastor Nathan and say, you know, before the end of the week, I want to be in a fellowship with other folks. We want to provide those types of things, but it's upon each and every one of us the responsibility to live as followers of Jesus and to be committed to one another over the long haul. Are we committed to speaking with affection and with honesty? I really don't know what my farewell speech is going to be. I haven't really given it very much thought. I don't know if you've thought about yours. But if we could all say that this is what God did among us, that'd be pretty cool. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you transformed and changed uh, Saul, who was murdering and, and imprisoning Christians, to the Apostle Paul, who, who couldn't be quiet. He just had, had to kept, keep talking about Jesus. 
Even when they threw rocks at him, even when they put him in jail, he, he talked to the guards. When he, got, when he got to Rome and he was in prison there, he said, well, at least everybody where I'm in prison, everybody that I'm under house arrest with has heard the gospel. It's amazing how you changed him. Not just in his thinking, but in the compassion and the love that he had for lost and rebellious and broken sinners, just like us. Lord, we claim that you've saved us and that you are changing us. And I pray that you would be doing that same work in my life and the life of Green Tree that you did in Paul's life. That this community of Kirkwood and Glendale to Paris, St. Louis, Missouri, United States, wherever across the globe, wherever we, we're in partnership with people in ministry, would see the gentleness and the humility and the grace of the Christian community, the steadfastness, the, the, the perseverance, uh, and the honest message of the gospel of Jesus for his glory and for our salvation. We pray in his name. Amen.